Welcome, 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 Housers, to another episode of On the Way Home. I'm your host, Michael Braithwaite. Sometimes I actually forget to uh, introduce myself. Uh, Thanks for listening in today. We have a fabulous podcast for you uh, that's going to talk about some great work happening in York Region uh, with uh, social service agencies and the York Regional Police. Before we get to that um, introduction and conversation, I want to tell you a little bit about my organization, Blue Door. Check us out at bluedoor.ca. We do all sorts of different things supporting vulnerable people across the regions of York. Peel and Durham. We have a construction social enterprise called Construct that launches people into the trades to meaningful and well-paying work that lifts them out of poverty and a construction arm to that that actually brings in revenue uh, that can then help Blue Door do things like build affordable, deeply affordable housing and add different positions that support the people uh, that we help day to day. As well, we do all sorts of housing programs across Durham and York, from emergency housing to transitional or supportive housing for different populations, for seniors, for men, for families, for youth, for newcomers, for 2 LGBTQ plus youth, and more. Plus, we do some health supports with our partners across the region. We have a health hub. It's really cool with a nurse. Uh, and we do some in-reach work with a hospital to make sure no one's discharged into homelessness and much more. Check us out. You can use that QR code on your screen. Just scan that or go to bluedart.ca. We do this podcast in partnership with an incredibly talented group of the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness. They are a national organization that do everything from advocacy. They're doing a lot of work right now. There's some awful stuff happening, unfortunately, in Edmonton with the teardown of encampments and in freezing cold weather where people don't have uh, safe and affordable and warm places to go. And they're lending their ear and time and support to that to make sure you know, in hopes that that's done differently, but they do, they have the ear of the government. They do a lot of great advocacy work. They, they, you know, speak to the government around solutions and tangible solutions. Tim Richter, their CEO has uh, spoken many times on television and at different conferences and in different times, but he has at, uh, that they pull them into government pieces around moving forward and trying to prevent and end homelessness. They also do a lot of training. If you want to become a built for zero community and you should try and become a built for zero community, uh, they can help you out. So check out all the work they do. I'm not doing it justice at caeh.ca. They're a wonderful organization, a, you know, a small group of people with huge impact. So check them out. Wow. We have a great podcast today. Uh, about almost 10 years ago, probably just over 10 years ago, actually, a group in York Region of emergency housing providers got together with the York Regional Police and said, what can we put together that might, you know, there's a lot of interaction. Um, sometimes we need to call the police for support with some of our clients. Sometimes the police might be looking for missing people or something's going on where uh, that person might be residing within those emergency housing providers or their, their locations. How do we provide clarity? How do we simplify things? How do we uh, make it less gray for those interactions? And they got together and it took a while, it took a couple of years, but they came up with a memorandum of understanding that both police and staff could actually flip through and had access to that would kind of underline here's what people can ask for. Here's what your responsibility is. Here's what the police's responsibility is. Here's why they might be asking this. Here's why the shelters may not be able to give out that information. And it got us to an understanding. It was a wonderful document uh, and everyone signed on and it really provided that clarity. And that was signed off in, in 2014. Now, as time 
kind of went on um, and new staff came on both with the police and new leadership and uh, and social services as well, that document fell to the side. And, and recently we were working with York Regional Police uh, chatting about this. They, they knew of it. We said it was time to, to dust that off, renew it. So Alex uh, Chang and Tom Muirhead, uh, through their leadership, bringing partners together across the region, did just that over the past year. Uh, There's some legislation changes, and not only were there emergency housing providers, shelter providers involved, now they brought on different services that were providing day services, seasonal shelters, that kind of thing. So it grew really um, to the number of individuals and organizations that were involved in this MOU. We talk all about how that came around, the history around it. We talk about Alex and Tom, who both have really interesting uh, journeys into the work that they're doing. Of course, neither really saw themselves when they were little going into the work that they were doing. Tom actually talks about how he was heavily involved in social services, the Canadian Mental Health Association with brain injury and that type of work and never really thought of policing until later on and got into that and how that that background has really uh, helped inform him in, in the work that he's done with York Regional Police. So we talk about their journeys. We talk about the history of the MOU. We talk about some of the pieces that it addresses, why it's important, uh, and what needs to happen moving forward. Because now you have a document and you have a resource with training staff and getting them up to speed and making sure that's a consistent thing is going to be the key moving forward. And they put it out there for uh, communities. Hey, if you want to like this was a lot of work. You don't have to start from scratch. They will willingly give you this document to tweak and see if you can make it work in your community too. It's a great resource. Um, and it's a great example of how uh, the police and community groups can work together to serve our most vulnerable. A wonderful podcast with two great leaders. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Let's go to that conversation now. Tom and Alex, thanks so much for taking the time out of your very, very busy schedules to join us on the podcast today. Thank you for having us, Michael. Thank you very much. Guys, we're going to talk about the great work that you and the community have been doing together around this very kind of special project that you put together. But before we get going, we have a standard question that we ask everyone who joins the pod. Uh, and Alex, you know, you have a bit of an advantage because you've answered this before on the podcast. Uh, so, you know what? I'm going to switch it up. I was going to start with you. I'm going to go with Tom first. And Tom, just right off the bat, we know you're not in housing, uh, but this is a personal thing, and so there's no right or wrong answer. And the question is, what does home mean to you? So we'll go to you and then go to Alex after. Yeah, so thinking about that, I took a second to kind of mull that over. Um, to me, I looked at that word over the span of my life. Um, from childhood, I thought about playing tag and the notion of uh, being home free and what that meant. And it, every time I thought about the word, I thought of a feeling and that feeling was um, safety, uh, a feeling of uh, security um, and the ability to, to just relax. And then when I moved on to kind of middle life or, or when I was a young man going off to school, to university, living overseas, um, no matter where I, I was at the time, there was still this notion of home, going back home for the holidays. Um, and I really, now that uh, I'm older, I have my own family, my, my children, my wife, I want to be able to provide that uh, home to them. And I think really you need to have a home um, to be able to uh, explore and, and, and think of 
where you want to go in life. Um, you want to not have to worry about that. So in order for you to feel um, ready to, to, to jump to the next stages of life, I think uh, you need to have that home. I hope that makes sense. Makes total sense. Thank you so much for that. Alex? Wow, I have a lot to, first First of all, this is the second, second time that I've answered this question, but as I was pondering this question myself before the podcast, uh, and I heard Tom uh, with his answer, I'm like, wow, that's that's exactly what I was thinking about this time around too, is that you know, it is it is more than just a roof over your head, right? I mean, for the most part, I can, I can say that I've had a privileged upbringing, but as I also think about my upbringing, my life from childhood into, uh, into adulthood, I think it means, you know, a sense of permanency, stability, privacy, right? It's almost like a place where you can feel that you are safe to detach from everything else around you. And for the most part, uh, I mean, that means like expectations or judgments, right? It's, uh, it's, it's something that allows for some grounding. And I suppose I guess home is also the place where you have your support network, your immediate family. This is a home is, is a place that you open up so that you have your friends and colleagues come, uh, come and spend time with you. And, uh, now I'm a parent and I look at my eight-year-old and I get this feeling when I uh, go and pick him up from school every day and I see what home means through his eyes as well, right? Home is mom and dad and a sense of comfort and security. What would home, what, what, would, be, uh, what would it be like if he didn't have home to go to every day? So I think that's what home uh, kind of means to, uh, means to me. And I echo what, uh, what Tom said. It's like, you can't really do much uh, or you can't really have a lot of hopes um, if you don't really have that sense of permanency and that sense of home. Absolutely. Well said, Alex. It starts with home all the time. And Alex, we're going to segue into our next question to talk about a bit of our journey. I know you have a fascinating life journey, uh, having uh, grown up a little bit in, in Panama. And I remember you've you've fascinated me with some stories about you were there during the conflict and, and through the eyes of a child, how it, it seemed different, uh, making your way to Canada, uh, the differences here, and then for the last uh, quite around 50, 20 years in, in our social sector. Can you, you wind us through as much as you're comfortable your journey into the sector? Sure. Uh, th thank you, Michael. Yeah, my journey certainly uh, been a long journey of uh, self-discovery, I think, right? As you mentioned, I am uh, uh, an immigrant myself. My parents, uh, my parents wanted a better life for myself and my family. So I did come here when I was, I think, 12 at the time, right? Went through... Uh, the uh, school system in Panama, then here in Canada. But whenever you, you're displaced, and this goes back to the sense of a home. I mean, uh, when I look back at, uh, yes, I, I, I had a privileged upbringing, but my parents weren't always around, right? And I lived mostly with my my siblings. And I think that uh, that in itself kind of played a part in, uh, you know, what what uh, what came to be for me afterwards. And like some perhaps in this field, I didn't necessarily plan on, uh, you know, social services uh, as a destination, but, uh, you know, it was fate, uh, serendipity, personal circumstances that kind of led me here, right? And I think all those circumstances kind of led to, um, maybe it's my personality as well, but as a young adult, and sometimes even now I can probably admit to it too, that I struggle with uh, anxiety and depression. And having had, having have had, uh, having had to kind of navigate through that, it 
kind of led me to discover a whole new world of support and services that as, when I was growing up, didn't even know it existed. And at some point, uh, you know, I decided that I wanted to be on the other side, that I wanted to be, it'd be uh, you know, one of the folks that were providing kind of those supports. So as you said, for the last 20 years or so, I've had uh, different roles, mostly in mental health, addictions, uh, homelessness. Uh, I spent the last 10 years at Blue Door, mostly in uh, leadership roles, not necessarily providing the same type of direct service as, as often anymore, uh, but using you know the knowledge and experience uh, and the voice that I've acquired to kind of influence service delivery, programming, and um, uh, in you know um, supporting uh, our staff or stakeholders in, in ensuring that uh, you know, we provide a better place or we provide uh, better housing options for folks that are struggling. Well, thank you, Alex, and thanks for sharing the journey, and thanks for being so open, too, about uh, the mental health challenges as well. You're, you're absolutely right. I'm a little older than you, uh, but with growing up, the stigma attached to mental health, no one wanted to say, you know, share those types of feelings because you were stigmatized as, as crazy, right? As as And it was really not something you talked about. Thankfully, although we have a long way to go, it, it has changed over time. And we're very thankful to have you leading the way out Blue Door. I mean, under your leadership, the, the changes in the last uh, 10 years have been just incredible and really been impactful in our community. So thanks for that. Detective Tom, tell us about your journey. Uh, was policing you know, early on in your thoughts, is it something you just kind of came into? Uh, walk us through it. Well, it's great hearing Alex's story. I knew a little bit about Alex, um, but uh, I think there are some parallels between uh, between Alex and I. I never grew up wanting to be a police officer. Uh, there was no police in my family, uh, friends, or anything like that. I went to university. Um, wanted to travel afterwards. My wife and I moved to Japan for a couple years, uh, came back to Canada, and my wife went to teacher's college, and I actually got into um, uh, social service work. So I started working in acquired brain injury uh, down in Niagara region, uh, eventually moved up to this area. My wife uh, is a teacher. Uh, she's uh, gotten a position up here in Simcoe County, and uh, I came with her, obviously, and uh, I got uh, into the uh, Simcoe County District School Board uh, for about a year and then eventually migrated over to the Canadian Mental Health Association and I was a case manager there in Barrie uh, for a number of years. Um, still no inkling that I would ever become a police officer um, and then I uh, was fortunate enough to work with a couple of uh, retired police officers that were working for CMHA. Um, one was OPP, the other one was uh, Barrie City and uh, they got to know me and they both kept telling me, Tom, you should really consider it. And uh, I just, I never had an interest. Um, like most people, I watched policing on uh, through the lens of media, through TV shows, through movies. I really didn't know what it was really truly about. Um, it was never humanized really to me at all. I didn't know who was working there. Um, you know, just like you, uh, I had a police car behind me when I was driving, I was nervous. So I, 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 I never was really drawn to it. But what happened is I went out for a ride along with an OPP officer a couple of times. So I was out for a 12 hour shift with him in his police car and uh, I fell in love with it. And I realized that a lot of the things I was doing at CMHA were the same things uh, that officer was doing except with a uniform on. Um, and it really kind of broke down the walls of uh, what truly goes on um, in policing. And I thought, you know what? I think I'm going to give this a shot. Uh, I, I fell in love with the idea, and I started here in uh, 2006. Um, so I've been here about 18 years now, and I've had an opportunity to work 
um, in a bunch of different capacities. Um, uniform, I was a sergeant in, uh, in uniform as well. Uh, I've been uh, working in the Criminal Investigations Bureau, Investigative Services, the uh, Integrated or sort of the Intimate Partner Violence Unit, and then uh, we came into contact uh, during my time working in the uh, training branch. Sorry, that's very long-winded. No, no, that's uh, fascinating to hear. And it, I think it's so cool that uh, the background that set you up, I think, to be an excellent officer. I mean, I think uh, there is no... I, I remember... A f few years back, the former uh, chief, Eric Shalif, was we were at a community safety meeting and he was saying he was really an advocate for an actual degree in policing. He said, listen, if you're going to be a nurse, you're going to school four or five years, right? Or more, depending on the kind of nursing you want to get into. Any profession, he said, except for policing, right? It could be really any degree or not. Or, um, And he was really pushing for it because they want individuals with a skill set that that you're bringing in, right? That really understands that kind of subset of the of, of the community. So I, I think that's fascinating, very cool to hear. It makes makes a lot of sense from what I know of you. Um, listen, I have to say that the York Regional Police. I've had the great fortune of working uh, alongside are truly a community policing force up in New York Region that just go out of their way, are at every community event, are always open to learning and changing, uh, dialing in. And it kind of brings us to our, our conversation today around uh, the, the partnership that has happened. I think probably uh, maybe about 10 years ago, uh, there was a group of uh, partners that are all emergency housing providers and the police sat down and really what led you to that was the fact that you know despite everyone's best efforts there are at times uh times when you're dealing with vulnerable populations where you need to call the police or when somebody's missing and the police go one of the first stops they might make is that emergency housing provider because that's where someone might be staying uh, so their families can find them etc so there's lots of interaction points and sometimes there might be confusion on the end of the police or the service provider and that might lead to some misunderstandings or conflict and i think in an effort to really you know work through that and, and i'm kind of taking away your thunder but this is where you came together and you did something really special um alex you've got a long history with this uh with blue door uh one of the original groups involved can you talk a little bit about that history and how it came to be yeah, no, I have a little bit of a background. I think when I first started, I think that uh, um, some of the meetings had already been, been taking place and the uh, the initial iteration was uh, uh, was almost at the finish line. But as you mentioned, I mean, the uh, uh, the last iteration of the MOU was signed in 2014 and uh, it was a good solid three years of work that uh, led to that initial document. Um, I think now the, you mentioned a little bit about, um, uh, about the background and yes, it was centered around uh, mostly uh, uh, shelter providers at that point coming together uh, along with the YRP to look at you know different circumstances that uh, may uh, that you know due to the nature of our work we interact uh, together I mean we work really closely and we partner really closely with the York Regional uh, uh, Police I mean our staff teams come to depend on uh, on their support and partnership to ensure that uh, the safety of the clients that we serve um, 
I think the intention of the initial MOU was really to uh, uh, it was really a result of identifying uh, the need to establish a framework that guided our interactions. Uh, sometimes uh, there would be uh, I guess conflict or uh, whether it was perceived or real between you know the thought of uh, privacy and confidentiality of the clients that we serve that uh, the homelessness sector and, and the violence against women sector for example and and the, and the requests that were that we made to law enforcement and vice versa. Now uh, as a bit of an example we without getting into too much detail, for example, from the shelter's perspective, sometimes uh, we get real-time requests from uh, from officers uh, to identify whether a person was staying with us or not, right? And, and I say that, I mean, uh, most most listeners are probably going to wonder, well, that's that's not uh, uh, that's not that big of a deal. But in this example, it's actually quite nuanced. Uh, so there are many factors involved with us being able to decide, you know, when or how to share information. So uh, having these discussions uh, jointly together as a group of shelter providers with the YRP, it allowed us to better understand the different scenarios and the different perspectives that we each had as to how, when, why information is requested from uh, from their end, for example, and uh, the YRPs end, and conversely, you know, how information is ultimately shared and in some cases withheld um, from the perspective of both, uh, you know, housing providers and, and law enforcement. So, I mean, there were a lot of other scenarios that, that that's just uh, one particular example, but uh, we're able to define uh, clear processes around uh, at that time missing persons, for example, and at that time that work was mostly focused on uh, you know the delicate work of uh, the BAW sector, and where you know uh, women uh, flee the, uh, uh, flee intimate violence, and there's uh, I guess an added need in in ensuring the privacy and confidentiality of their location is really handled with care, right? Uh, as I mentioned before, I mean it was signed in 2014, but 2014, 2024, that's 10 years, and a lot has changed in 10 years. And uh, when um, uh, when yourself, Tom, and I started talking about you know uh, uh, you know uh, looking at revising. Uh, at the MOU and, uh, and open it up, we realized that a lot has changed uh, processes, legislation. So I think we all agree that uh, that it was uh, in need of an update for sure. Well, even alongside that, I think, and, and this is when, and, and Tom, please, please weigh in. You were kind of, you were new to this. I don't even know, were you aware of this? And, and because sometimes what happens, despite our best intentions, we have this document where we train people as new officers, as new social service staff join the teams, it gets put on the shelf and people forget. You say, how about that MOU? With, and people don't know what you're talking about. Were you familiar with it before we started chatting? Or I recall the document uh, from my time working in the Intimate Partner Violence Unit. But if I'm being completely honest with you, I had never actually read it. Um, and from our, my perspective, um, having the opportunity to have you, uh, Michael, and your and and you, uh, your colleague attend for this training that I was putting on, um, on our side of things, you you would come and provide an hour, an hour and a half of your time um, to help educate our investigators on what you do and um, what is going on in our community, giving us some insight. And after you would leave. Um, I would start hearing uh, officers who, like, I felt clearly still didn't understand what what's really going on um, and why, Alex just touched on it, why certain decisions are made, why information sometimes isn't provided. Um, they didn't understand the perspective of uh, the, the individuals that work um, in, in your silo. And that's where I go back to this word silos a lot. I think what was happening is we had this document, it's been shelved. No one had really looked at it. It had lost traction. We were building walls or silos 
and we weren't really communicating very well. And a lot of times, I know I mentioned it briefly about my draw into policing and the myths involved. There was myths on both sides. Uh, what are police doing? What are they up to? And what what are these folks doing in in these uh, in the shelters, drop-in centers? Um, why aren't they sharing information? And to me, it was the perfect time for us to sit down again and start opening up the lines of communication. Um, once we start communicating, we start breaking down some of these silos. I think it benefits everybody. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project, or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Yeah, well said, well said. And I think any document that you do is really only as good as uh, the people that are delivering it, right? So this is going to take a lot of, hey, let's do training and annually, how do we refresh this to make sure new staff that come on board, we onboard them on so they know new officers coming through or new staff or new leaders uh, in the sector. I think it is really special because we do interact a lot uh, and, and a whole community includes everyone in a community, including your most vulnerable. And this just really provides staff and officers and police with real guides. And as you said, Tom, an understanding of each other. This is why we might want this. And this is why we may not be able to do that. And here's where we can meet in the middle and decide what we're going to do uh, going through. As you went through this process, I know it's been a long process and many partners involved. Alex, you talked about how the partners involved changed a little bit this time. It went a little bit beyond emergency uh, housing providers. Can you talk a little bit about that? Definitely, Michael. I mean, um, I think I think part of it was building on uh, that, that that good work that was done ten years ago, right? In this iteration, the partnership has broadened. I mean, uh, initially uh, it was just shelter providers. So for for us here in York Region, that means uh, you know us Blue Door, uh, Salvation Army, Three Sixty Kids, and the VAW sector, Yellow Brick, Sandgate, and and ETA Bond. But as um, as time has gone on, I think uh, we've realized as we started having this conversation as well and started engaging uh, other folks that were not necessarily housing providers too, uh, they came back with uh, with interesting feedback. I think the feedback that, that we were getting was, well, you may be onto something here. You may have something useful that may be useful to us too. So how do we get how do we get involved and how do we um, you know tweak that language or add some language in this MOU so that it kind of covers our interactions with officers as well and uh, it um, it allows our staff to really uh, uh, be able to uh, understand you know you know current legislation processes and uh, and open up that line of communication better. So um, this time around, uh, we've added uh, seasonal shelters to the mix. So last time it was only emergency housing providers at VAW. So we've added the in from the cold in New Market. We've added uh, uh, our own uh, uh, Mosaic Out of the Cold program, which uh, uh, you know is uh, uh, which is a program of the Lord now, but we had a merger just about uh, three years ago. Uh, we've added a Craftsman Center. Um, uh, Tom mentioned uh, drop-ins, and Craftsman runs uh, an excellent, excellent job 
drop-in and uh, there are consumer survivor initiative here in, in your region, uh, uh, yeah, really peer support services. And when they heard that, that we had this document in place, they were like, well, um, again, this is uh, this applies to us too because we have officers, uh, you know, calling or or or, or accessing our drop-in, and uh, sometimes we don't know what to do. For example, and uh, we also have uh, had the John Howard Society join us this time around too. So I think. Uh, I think a, a lot of our good work is being built on and uh, is iterative. And I think as some more people uh, find out, you know, how useful it is to have uh, to have clear language and to have, uh, uh, you know, this, uh, these processes uh, set up, I think, uh, I think more people uh, might want to, you know, join as well and, uh, uh, and see how they can take advantage of this too. Where are there, uh, let's talk a little bit about where there are challenges along the way. I think, I mean, when you have multiple partners involved, and it's going to make sense for everyone. Um, maybe Tom, start with you and Alex, can you talk about some of the challenges or pieces you just needed to work through? I think internally for us, uh, and and perhaps even Alex uh, can recall even some of our initial meetings when we sat down together as a working group. Um, I think it's again from 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 my side of things it's humanizing the police and understanding that we are public servants just like you are uh we're all compassionate people at this table uh we're, we're all professionals and we're all looking to uh work together to better serve the community um it's just erasing those myths uh i think of you know and really understanding what we do as police beyond just the enforcement side of things um and then vice versa for and the policing side of things, again, that's it, it. It's building this trusting relationship and understanding what you, you folks are up to and why we're all on the same team here. That's really been the only uh, kind of bump in the road, but I think we've really addressed it. We, Alex, uh, kudos to Alex. Alex uh, led the way here, uh, getting this document uh, um, together. It's fantastic, um, but there, there were only really small kind of tiny bumps in the road and from my perspective at least yeah, Michael. I think uh, on, I think from my perspective, I think the uh, the initial response when we set uh, when, um, when we had all the partners together, I think was overwhelmingly positive. Uh, I think we all realized that uh, 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 that we had something and that uh, something to build on, and uh, uh, this is really a, around building partnership as well. I mean, all, all of us, uh, and I echo what Tom said earlier. We all have our own priorities uh, in terms of you know how we serve, how we uh, uh, the processes that we have as well, and sometimes. Uh, that uh, uh, that can lead to a siloing ourselves, not not really by intention, right? But when we all came together, I think uh, we all realized, you know, there is uh, some there is some common ground. We, uh, uh, I think, uh, I think it's, uh, it's uh, I think, from the MOU's perspective, uh, so much time has passed that uh, we had learned so many lessons that we wanted to apply this round as well. And yes, I echo the Tom source again. It, a lot has to do around understanding, uh, you know, the work of uh, supporting individuals through. Uh, Social service lens through a lens of enforcement. Um, how do we? Um, how, how how are we able to uh, uh, demystify, de-stigma, uh, de-stigma, uh, de-stigmatize our positions as well? So, I. 
don't necessarily think that there were major challenges. I think um, I think the challenge is always you know bringing people together and ensure that every voice is heard and that uh, when uh, when you put it together uh, on uh, on a document, right, that um, uh, that all of uh, all of the needs and uh, um, all, uh, are captured up appropriately, right, and that uh, and that we get, we have something that we're going to be able to continuously build on. So I think all the partners were really wonderful and uh, and open minded uh, uh, to work with, and I think we were all on the same page that we wanted to get this done. Well, kudos to both of you, because I know you sent that out for signature, and I thought, well, this will this will take a while, and it came back fairly quick. Now, mind you, in the last 10 years, we now have something called DocuSign, which makes it a heck of a lot easier than, you know, one person signing and printing and faxing and <laughs> just scanning and doing all that kind of stuff, but it, it's brilliant and really something you should be proud of. Uh, just at a high level, can you talk about, maybe give some examples of something that would be covered in the MOU that would kind of simplify things? Uh, Alex, I don't know if you want to talk about that. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll start off, and then maybe uh, maybe Tom, if you uh, if you want to get into some specifics uh, uh, at a high level, at a very high level. Um, obviously, we've updated the uh, the language to reflect current times, and a lot of it had to do with uh, uh, with le with uh, with legislation, right? Be, um, uh, some of it was clarification around language uh, of missing persons, and uh, uh, Tom can speak to that a lot better than I can. But we also have new tools as a community to account for that didn't exist ten years ago. So now we have uh, the European centralized intake line for people experiencing homelessness, and that's a one-stop shop. Where if, uh, if if someone is in need of shelter space, that's what they call first, right? So how do we use this tool to to better to to be more transparent, uh, be uh, be able to uh, make these processes more efficient? For example, uh, we've also added um, some uh, language and some clarity around uh, mental health emergencies and human trafficking. And the human trafficking piece, um, if you recall, Michael. Uh, circa 2014, I think that was the time when uh, we started doing a bit more work on human trafficking. I think if you're going back to the time when uh, when the idea of this MOU came uh, came came to be in 2010 2011, uh, that, uh, that that work um, was just getting started. There wasn't very much on the ground, but between 2010 and 2014, a lot had been developed and wasn't really captured through uh, through the initial document. And a lot more has been developed since, right? So it was really important for us to go back and and to and to make that addition. Uh, Tom, I don't know if you have much more to add in terms of details. I, I I would echo what you said, Alex, and I think just really, for me, the home run piece here is that uh, improved communication through the intake system. Um, I think that that's going to really make things much more efficient, um, and it's going to uh, really um, eliminate uh, any we, in which we rarely had was any conflict. But I, I I think the improved communication I think is hands down the best thing that's coming out of this. And like you said, we did have some legislative changes uh, in the last 10 years, of course, and some nuances here and there. But uh, I would say that that's the real selling piece for me is the, the improved communication. And I think uh, to cut in kind of to what's next for us, I, I, I would say uh, doing some joint training together and really dispelling, I know I've said this a number of times, but dispelling these myths and breaking down these silos and getting us uh, uh, communicating in a better, in a better fashion. Um, which won't take much because I think we do really have an excellent relationship. Um, there's just obviously it's it's becoming, especially for us as police, uh, we have always have to work on being more transparent, in my opinion. Um, so if, if we can take down some of the uh, uh, the barriers there and and 
hopefully people have a better understanding of what we do and, and why we do it, um, I think it'll improve our relationships even more. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, this, this MOU is really a reflection of our partnership. The partnership has always been there. It's just getting, uh, it's just getting stronger, right? And we have, we've had so many lessons learned uh, through that first iteration that, uh, you, uh, you know, we, uh, we know, as Michael alluded to it earlier, when you have a piece of document, it could go on the shelf and it could gather dust for a few years. And when you have so many people involved, how do you make sure that you all have the same interpretation of, uh, of that document? So we've learned uh, from, uh, from the last iteration and what wasn't done, which was uh, being able to kind of keep that document alive and uh, make sure that we had some tools uh, in place with the document uh, and some processes in place to make sure that uh, all of our staff teams are uh, are up to date and that uh, there and there and that there are platforms and avenues that we can get together periodically to look at. You know, these are some of the things that are 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 gray areas or um, or they're not really uh, maybe they need a little bit better clarification or uh, as uh, as you said, Tom from the very start uh, that the, uh, uh, the stigmatizing work, right? How do we generate some of, the, some of this uh, video content so that, you know, we can share with our staff teams so that, you know, the YRTP officers know if they come to uh, a, housing, uh, a housing provider, why are they, uh, you know, uh, why are they talking about, um, you know, is this, uh, uh, are you here uh, on active pursuit? Do you have a warrant? And for our staff, for example, understanding, well, you're not gonna see it physically in most cases, perhaps, uh, but um, uh, but th this uh, th these are the guidelines that we have uh, for you to operate within, right? And this is these are the reasons why um, uh, we've um, uh, we've come to this place and we've agreed to this language and this process, right? Both well said. I think you know I heard clarity, and it's it's you know things like listen, uh, listeners. When sometimes when you, someone's missing. That family is desperately looking for and wants to support an individual who may not know or through various, for various different reasons. Um, and one of the places they're going to start is looking at places where they would be housed, meaning emergency services like uh, shelters, and they call in. And this just really gives the clarity of a new staff and we're saying, okay, what should I do when I get this call? And for officers to say, what can I expect when I make this call? And that kind of thing. It just, it makes things, it simplifies things. It makes it easier. And if, and at the end of the day, it's better for all the individuals involved, right? Especially the clients and the people that, um, and, and it just makes things even better. I think it, it, it's a great document. And yes, every few years you've got to, you know, take a, another look at it, look at changes like you have now. And the training piece, as, as Tom mentioned too, is gonna to be big too. You could design this, but if people don't know and are not familiar with it, you really want to, every new person that comes in, you want them to be familiar with this document and have it as a resource. And it's like, that's so great. You just made this so much easier uh, as wonderful. And I said right from the beginning, um, for, for my 14 years in this region, uh, York Regional Police have always done things a little different. Alex, you mentioned human trafficking. I was so unaware and uneducated in 2014 uh, when uh, Tai Trong, who is now the chief of police in, in London, sat me down and, and he was much more kinder than I'm going to say now, but he really said, you need to do your job. They were doing the policing part of things. Uh, you know, of course, the uh, arresting of people uh, involved in illegal activities, but the victims of this, the survivors, uh, they needed help. And, and she said, we're not social workers, but we care about these kids. And to me, that said so much about the force that we were working with. And I learned so much. And, and at the time, 360 kids who 
still does the HOPE program, uh, working with YRP, uh, with survivors coming out of, uh, of human trafficking. So a great relationship. I mean, a couple of weeks back, we even had a York Regional Police hockey team in Hockey Helps the Homeless with the chief leading the way. Listen, they were really good too. I think they won the whole thing. Um, so very, very heavily involved. They're involved in the coldest side of the year. They help Yellow Brick House, uh, Women for the Violence Association with their Walk a Mile in My Shoes. Every charitable event helping vulnerable people, you will see uh, York Regional Police present at and always at the tables around the region trying to understand and learn and grow and share that with their team, uh, which should be commended. You should be commended, both of you. Thank you for your leadership on this. If there was a community that said, we'd love to work on a memorandum of understanding with all the partners in our police force, who could they reach out to? Alex, is that you? Uh, could you link them to Tom or, or both of you? De definitely. I think uh, I, I think I'm, I'm on board. Uh, we're happy to share the work that, that we've done. Um, not wanting to speak uh, for Tom, but I'm sure that he'd be on board as well. Absolutely. Any chance uh, to work with Alex again and any other uh, community partners across Canada, or I'm more than happy to be there. Yeah. And, and listen, folks, save yourself a lot of work. I mean, this was in 2014, when Alex was talking, 2013, it took a couple of years originally put the original document together. There was a lot to work through. And now that there's a base there and then this renewed document uh, that is willing to be shared, you have a, a starting point that I'm sure you could tweak to your own uh, community's needs. But uh, reach out to Alex. You can just visit. You can find his information at bluedoor.ca and he can link you uh, to York Regional Police and to uh, Tom and the team as well. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for this. I think at the end of the day, you both are responsible for making our communities uh, safer and supportive, and it's so appreciated. Thank you, Michael. Thank All right, you guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining. We'll see you next time on the way home. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcasts wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.